0: With Mark, I welcome you. Any of you just joining us online, I'm Joel, and I invite you to turn to the final verses in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 44. Some of us have been eagerly awaiting this moment. been waiting a very long time. We actually began Luke long ago, back in 2020, which makes today a very special day. Actually, many people were thinking just that. A week ago in England... It was a very special day. On Saturday, May 6th, a new king was crowned and came to power, King Charles III. Folks had been waiting a long time. This was the first coronation since 1953. I wasn't even born yet. It was quite the scene. Maybe some of you saw it. When Charles arrived at Westminster in the glorious Diamond Jubilee stagecoach, he was adorned then with a shimmering gold coat called the super tunica. He was handed a golden scepter which contains the largest diamond in the world. They then seated him on a 700-year-old throne and then came the moment. A magnificent crown of solid gold frame, 444 precious stones in it. It weighs 5 pounds. It was placed on his head. the People then rejoiced as their king was coronated, the abbey bells rang out, and there was a 62 cannon salute. Maybe you saw that glorious scene. Let's have some fun with it now. Let's do a thought experiment. There were over 200 pe- people from over 200 nations were attending this. Let's imagine how folks would have reacted If after the crowning moment, King Charles had then stood up and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All nations must bow the knee. I pardon every criminal in the world who does so. And I will bless every person on the planet beyond their wildest dreams. Rejoice, because the world is better off forever, because I now am king. How do you think folks would have responded? If you were watching, how would you respond? We're probably thinking, is Charles' crown on too tight on his head? Did he take the wrong medicine or fall out of bed and hit his head this morning? No human ruler should make such an audacious claim, right? Well, that sort of claim is not true of any earthly ruler in our day or in any day past, except for one exception the one we find in Luke 24. This is the day the human race has been waiting for. Friends, rejoice. It is coronation day for King Jesus as he ascends to the heavenly throne to make sure that his blessings are going to flow far as the curse is found on this earth. But before we read our text, let's pray that those blessings might actually reach into our lives so that they may extend then to others all around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's a glorious thing because we know seated at your right hand is our reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Our time is short. Our need is great. Will you pour out your spirit and help us to see our risen King that we may go out of here proclaiming his glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. He blessed them while he blessed them. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and return to Jerusalem with great joy, and we're continually in the temple, blessing God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So let me take a quick poll to start us off. Raise your hand if you know the answer. How many know what Christian holiday lands on this coming Thursday? A couple hands. It's Ascension Day, May 18th. The day we just read about in Luke 24. 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter, he was raised up into heaven. It was Coronation Day, beginning the forever reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'll confess, I didn't get how important this day was for most of my life. I mean, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, right? Jesus, you know, coming into the world, his death, his resurrection. We celebrate these, everybody does but I never even really thought about Ascension Day until about 20 years ago, and here's why I started working with a lot of Amish, and so they shut down the whole plant for Ascension Day. To their credit. Now I'm not advocating any of you call your boss and say I'm not coming in on Thursday. Okay, I'm not doing that here. But I am inviting you to ponder the significance of this event that we actually confess weekly in our creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Joel Green, a commentator on Luke, actually says Luke wants us to see Jesus' Ascension as the salvific event. As the salvific event. Luke ends his gospel with this, and he begins his second volume, Acts, with the Ascension. In fact, in more detail. For homework this week, this is your homework. Go home and read Acts 1. You're going to see that the ascension is the very hinge upon which Luke's two Gospels, his two, his two volumes, swing. Everything in Acts looks back on it, and everything in Luke looks forward to the ascension. And it really actually began for us quite a while ago, I don't know how long ago, back in Luke 9.51, when you saw the sudden turn in Luke's Gospel. When Jesus set his face, his journey to Jerusalem. You remember the verse? I kept bringing this back up again and again. I'll read it. Luke nine fifty one. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face, yes, to go to the cross. But Luke notes he's anticipating the coronation that comes after the cross. See, Jesus was ready for his reign to begin. So that he could bring his blessings. You see, our world was under the curse of sin and the control of Satan. History was reversed at the moment Jesus ascends into heaven. I think this explains the emotional state of the disciples. Luke ends with the disciples worshiping with great joy. Verse 52 think about this. Jesus has just parted from them, he's off now in heaven, he's homeward bound. And they're left alone, all alone on earth. But Luke says they have great joy. They're celebrating. Does this surprise you? This kind of did when I read this text as I was studying it this week. This chapter, do you remember how it began? With great sorrow. Because Jesus, the moment his presence became absence, they were crushed. Remember the two on Emmaus Road who said they're looking sad? They're stopped in their tracks because they thought Jesus was dead and buried, gone. They were singing, ain't no sunshine when you're gone. Nonstop, seven-mile journey. When Jesus appeared to them, oh, then suddenly they're rejoicing again. It's too good to be true. And now the light of the world becomes like a candle in the wind. If they're not sad, great joy, great joy. What in the world? Friends, the reason is the ascension. The way Jesus left, it's the coronation which they now know is not the end of the story, but the new beginning of a better story for all who love and worship Jesus. And so we end this gospel today by considering why we can rejoice in Jesus' ascension. And Our first point this morning is proclamation, proclamation. Verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We start the end with Jesus giving his disciples yet another Bible study, revealing how everything in the Old Testament was about him and his mission. I suspect these disciples are like some of us. We know our Bibles pretty well, and we know and we love Jesus our whole lives. But we often struggle to put the Bible and Jesus together. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're reading a text, you're like, what in the world do I do with this? I mean, the Old Testament has 39 books, 929 chapters, and a lot of them don't seem to fit together with the gospel and with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle, you know. You have all these strange pieces, odd shapes. I happen to be one of those people who actually likes puzzles. They help my mind to shut down at night to relax me. My wife finds zero relaxation in them. (laughs) No fun at all, except, she'll admit this at the end, last week I finished a puzzle. And after I placed piece number 999, I nudged my wife and I handed her what I call the victory piece. And she smiled and she took it and she inserted piece number 1,000. And then we just sat there and we smiled. Both happy because now we could see how it all fit together as a beautiful whole. That is something what, like what happens here. When Jesus put together the whole Old Testament story, laying it out, and then he held up the cross and the empty tomb as the two victory pieces. And he handed them to the disciples and said, put them right there hours before these two pieces made no sense to them at all right jesus his cross and his tomb looked like a tragic ending but now they see as jesus lays it all out how these two the the resurrection of jesus it actually now is the final piece that establishes peace between god and men peace between sinners and god jesus is saying guess what guys you see it now my mission is accomplished and now I've got to return to headquarters. But he still intends to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How in the world is he going to continue his work on earth, Joel, if he's up in heaven? Well, kind of like some of us do, who work from home now. Jesus was actually the very first person to ever work remotely. unlike <laughs> some of us, Jesus is actually always working. <laughs> Tim Keller, I wasn't looking at you, Hugh. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Tim Keller says, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God as the executive director of history, directing everything to the benefit of the church. Friends, the church, we are the instrument to make God's blessings flow. The mission was first given to the disciples, and he told them to take it to their own people in Jerusalem. Notice Jesus calls them first to go to their own culture. We tend to think of, oh, missions, way out. no, no, no. Jesus says your own culture. And think of this, to the place where you find the worst sinners in the entire planet. This city just crucified their creator. This is the worst crime ever in human history. Jesus says, go tell the worst sinners in the world that my forgiveness is available to them. Maybe somebody here needs to hear that this morning. Maybe that's why you're not here this morning. You're joining us online. Satan whispers forever in your ear You can't be forgiven that. You can't be forgiven that. You feel so much shame and unworthiness every time you look in the rearview mirror. Forgiveness is available in the name of Jesus, my friend. Say, Oh, Pastor Joel, you don't know it's true of me, what I've done. No, you're right. I don't know. But I do know you need to stop looking at you and start looking at Jesus. I proclaim to you that salvation is found in no other name under heaven but in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus was God, which means he's got a check that he can write to, pat, to cash any debt that you have. He was God in the flesh coming down here to offer his life in exchange for all your sins. Jesus didn't die on the cross for what he did wrong. He did for our sins, for what we've done wrong. To settle our sins, to smash our shame, that's why he came. Heaven's gates. If they ask you, why? Why let you in? You say, I don't belong here. Oh, you're right. But King Jesus said I could come. And at that moment, the moment you say Jesus' name, those angels are going to snap to attention, open the gates, and roll out the red carpet for you. That's how it works. That's the gospel. And once you take that in, You need to go tell it to someone else because you know other people out there who need to hear this. Tell them the good news that's found in this good book. This is God's communication to our world, how we can be saved. Jesus places in our hands the hope of the world and he calls us to be his witnesses. We see in this first section here, we are to be rooted in the Bible and active in mission. Rooted in the Bible and active in mission, making his blessings flow far as the curse is found actually starts in Genesis. We hear that God gave Adam and Eve this planet. And then they rebelled and lost it all. And then Jesus comes and he conquers. And now he's saying to us, go get it back. Go get this earth back. Jesus left our planet a better place. He's now reigning from heaven and now he invites us to participate. Isn't that good news? Wouldn't you like to leave this world better off when you leave? <coughs> We have this opportunity. and I know witnessing makes some of us a little nervous right now, right? Uh, Good. Your inadequacy is the first thing you need. (laughs) Your inadequacy. So you stop looking into yourself for your strength and start looking for outside help. And our next point is supernaturalization. If you're asking if that's a real word, the answer is yes. I found it in Miriam-Whipster. Yes, I did. I'll confess I was disappointed. I was hoping I invented a new word, but I didn't, so I get no credit for it. Our next point is supernaturalization, verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay, into the, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We just talked about in their own strength, and we know these guys, they're a bunch of knuckleheads. If you've been following us in Luke, <laughs> they cannot do this mission. But Jesus here promises. He says, behold, I'm trying to get your attention. Behold, I'm going to clothe you with power from on high after I go to heaven. What in the world is that about, Joel? I really racked my brain this week trying to come up with an illustration of what Jesus means by being clothed with power from on high. Here's my best shot. It starts first, though, recognizing what we lost in the Garden of Eden, what humanity, you and I, what we lost, Adam and Eve, from the beginning, were meant to be something more. They were meant to be supernaturalized. That's what we find in 1 Corinthians 15. But they sinned. And mankind was disconnected from God. We lost that power from on high altogether. Jesus came and reestablished that connection. He received the Holy Spirit in his baptism. Another reason for the ascension was that so he could go up there and now send us the promised spirit. And the Holy Spirit now gives us that power that we lack. He supernaturalizes us. So here's my illustration. Let's compare the Spirit's work to something we don't think about very much, gravity. Gravity. You don't see gravity. And you probably did not think one time today, recognize, oh, I'm so glad I got gravity today. Right? Anybody here think about gravity? Do you realize that without gravity pulling on you, you will slowly grow sick and you'll eventually die. Scientists actually did a one-year study on twin brothers Scott and Mark Kelly. this was about five years ago. Mark, where was he? He was living in Arizona. And his brother Scott was up in the International Space Station, 340 days. And they studied the effect on these two twins, the effect of living without gravity. You know what happened to Scott? His bone mass, it started to disappear at the rate of about 1% a month his muscle mass even faster, including his heart muscle. Without gravity, Scott's genes actually began to mutate. His vision and his cognitive abilities also waned. You realizing why there's so many confused people out here? It was only a matter of time before Scott would have died. Simply put, we need the power of gravity pulling on us or we slowly lose our humanity. That's what's been happening since the Garden of Eden. We need to think of the Spirit like that. God's sending the Spirit. So when Jesus clothes us with the Spirit, it's like we get gravity suits from the Spirit for our time here on earth. We get gravity suits. We're supernaturalized. And ultimately, yes, at the end, we get resurrection life after we die. My point is we're supernaturalized, so we don't have to drift with our, in the inhumanity of our current, present culture. We don't have to drift off wherever they're going. No, in fact, the Holy Spirit's power slowly rehumanizes us along the journey. It strengthens us. It restores us. So that we can then live as followers of Jesus Christ, the truly Spirit-empowered man. It is the Holy Spirit whose power actually connects us to Christ. Paul actually called it the Spirit of Christ. We need the Spirit because we still have lingering effects from living apart from God for so long. We still feel depressed at times, don't we? We still have those same temptations to sin, right? But those aren't evidence that you don't have the Holy Spirit, my friend. Yes, the Spirit gives you joy, and yes, the Spirit gives you new desires. But the Spirit's presence is less about feelings and desires and more about power. The power to say no to evil and yes to good, to do God's glory, to do everything to God's glory. And the Spirit empowers us like it did these 12 disciples, actually 11 disciples, to take up Jesus' mission, shining goodness into our world, proclaiming, not with power of our own, (laughs) no, but power from on high that's been given to us by the Father. Think about what happens Actually, I gave you Acts 1 to read. Read Acts 2. <laughs> After the Spirit is poured out. They have a 10-day prayer meeting in Acts 1. They're waiting. As soon as the Spirit is poured out, these guys light the world on fire. i preached many a sermons. I've never had a 3,000 soul converting sermon. I feel like I've preached at least one Acts 2 sermon in my life. Okay? We need the Spirit power for the Word to be effectual. These same guys who are cowering behind the door at the start of this section. They're afraid. Here in Acts 2, they're going out boldly doing the work of Jesus Christ and with great joy. Now we need to move on from our promised supernaturalization to now coronation. Their final scene, coronation, verse 50. And he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. I love this scene. I've thought about this scene all week. Actually, Bethany was the start of the scene. We often call the triumphal entry, where Jesus found that donkey, you know, to ride into Jerusalem. No, here's the real triumphal entry, and it starts in the same place. One was his descent into humiliation. This is now Jesus' movement into exaltation, his entrance into glory. This is a wonderful scene that these disciples would have never forgot. They're standing here. Jesus is right there in their presence. And suddenly their master begins to be lifted up into heaven. Jesus is passive here. Jesus isn't doing this. The Father is exalting Jesus and raising him up. The Father is providing this display for these disciples to see. Now, Jesus could have just poof and disappeared, right? He's done it before. After accomplishing his mission, he could have been out of here. No. No, the Father is exalting his Son, slowly lifting him up into heaven. And don't think not into outer space. This isn't space travel here, friends. No, Jesus is passing through that veil behind the curtain, the supernatural, which is the greater reality that we all long for. He's going there. He's moving into the next dimension. Moving from man's place to God's place, as one writer puts it. That would have been awesome. But what have really moved their hearts from any sorrow to pure joy was that hand gesture. That hand gesture. You see it? Jesus lifting up his nail-pierced hands as he ascends. Luke actually repeats it in verse 51, and the tense is so that's a continuing tense. His hands never drop the whole way out. Just keep blessing. During the whole coronation, Jesus never stops blessing his disciples. And by the way, this gesture was one they knew very well. Once a year, the high priest would go in the temple with a sacrifice for all the people. And they're waiting. They want to know if they're accepted by God. They're hoping that he'll receive that sacrifice. And when the priest comes out, and raises his hands. Everyone knows that they have peace with God. Imagine being a disciple and watching Jesus being exalted to heaven. His eyes fixed on you the whole time. Never stops blessing. Never drops those hands. Maybe he said that number six blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. A quick trivia. A second quick trivia. (laughs) What were God's first ever words to the first ever humans? In Genesis 1, right after creating male and female in his image, Right after God created man and women, we read this, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the whole earth. God's first words to the first humans were a blessing. Do you see God's posture towards humanity from the very start? God made you friends so that he could bless you. That's why he made us. And then we rebelled. That's why God had to set up priests who would then through sacrifice pay for sins and then bring a blessing, a restored blessing. Of course, those sacrifices, which we read about earlier, they never truly covered our sins. These priests kept dying. They would keep doing it again and again. But now Jesus offers his life as the great final sacrifice. And now God's posture at this very moment resumes. Now he can bless all forever. This is an amazing scene. I invite you to ponder the ascension this week. Maybe on Thursday, read this text and just see Jesus' blessing. The disciples see Jesus carried up into heaven as the great high priest, whoever lives to bless them, whoever lives to intercede for them. Do You see, Jesus right now, Sam was talking about his prayers, which sometimes his words are all fumbly. Jesus packages Sam's prayers up in his nail-pierced hands and presents them in this beautiful package. That's what Jesus does. And he offers them to his Father, and he's always speaking well of you, even when you feel bad about yourself. Jesus is speaking well of you. There's application there. Our acceptance is the result of the ascension. (laughs) Our acceptance before God is the result... Of the ascension. J.C. Ryle says, The great secret of the perseverance of the saints is Christ's appearance for them in heaven. <laughs> they have an everlasting advocate with the Father, and therefore they are never thrown out. Never. And because Jesus will send the Spirit another blessing, we also have new status before God. Calvin writes, The Lord, by his ascension into heaven, has opened up access to the heavenly kingdom which Adam had shut. For having entered it in our flesh, as it were, in our name, it follows that we are in a manner seated in the heavenly places, not entertaining a mere hope of heaven, but possessing it. Calvin is just fleshing out Ephesians, where he's talking about the Christian is so united to Jesus Christ that we've actually been raised up and we're seated in heaven right now. By faith, that is true. Take that in. You have a seat right now in the Heavenly Throne Room. we are the best seats you've ever gotten to an event on earth? One time in my life, I got front row seats right behind the Yankees dugout to a Sox game. I felt like I was in heaven. Derek Jeter was like five feet from me. I'm spitting sunflower seeds in the same spot that the evil empire is. It was just great. And I thought, man, Joel, you've made it you're in heaven. I was grinning from ear to ear, even though it didn't matter. The socks got completely crushed in that game. (laughs) Have you ever gotten primo seats somewhere where you're just like, I can't believe I'm seated here. This is amazing. That's nothing compared to what we have in Jesus Christ. We have seats to the greatest show in the entire cosmos with splendor far greater than Charles Coronation. Maybe that royalty stuff isn't your cup of tea, but I promise you there will be nothing dull, nothing dull when we're in heaven and we get to glorify and enjoy God forever. Now do you see why the disciples returned with great joy in our final verses? And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Notice the disciples worshiping Jesus with great joy. By the way, they're worshiping him because he's God. Make it very clear, Luke is he's the reigning king, he's been crowned king of kings and Lord of Lords, First Timothy 6. He's seated at the throne of the Father's right hand, Ephesians 1. and God has bestowed upon them name above all names, that at his name every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of God the Father. Philippians 2. <laughs> Friend, i want to ask you this question as you leave here do you have joy because king jesus is reigning over all things this is the greatest news all that is wrong in this world and in your life will be made right because of the reign of king jesus i mean think about that take it in jesus could not reign anymore if he tried jesus is not right now in heaven saying oh if i could just reign a little more Elkart. No, no that's stupid Jesus reigns over everything, every inch of this cosmos. That's why his disciples have great joy, because they see the absolute reign of King Jesus has begun. And his going away is not goodbye, it's see you later, because he's coming back for them. And here we are at the end of Luke. At the BDN, he writes, the story is not over. Just in case some of you are actually like, no, not the end of Luke. The story is not over. The end of Luke 24 is merely the beginning of the church. We are meant to worship him with great joy until all the nations do the same. We don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to bless God. We have become the temple of God in whom he lives. We bless him everywhere we go. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. We have blessed assurance. They have blessed assurance, and they now want to share that with others. They become a spark that ignited a fire that continues to rage throughout the world. So I close with just a quick application for us, three words. The baton's been passed to us. We've been given the baton. Let's keep worshiping like they do here. In Acts you read, they start setting apart one day of the week. I'm gonna get everything else done so I can spend one day of the week worshiping Jesus. I'm gonna do my best to spend one day of the week worshiping Jesus. Number two, they're waiting. They're worshiping and they're waiting. What are they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. They're praying. They're constantly praying for the Holy Spirit. And I wanna invite some of you who haven't been praying a lot to start go back to Luke eleven. You have a little Lord's Prayer that you have there, even shorter than the one we've all the time, and go to verse 13 where Jesus says, and pray for the Holy Spirit. The Father loves to give that as a gift to you. He loves to give his Spirit as a gift to you. Just start there. If you struggle in prayer, just through the Lord's Prayer and then pray, give me the Holy Spirit. Do it for one year every day, and then come back and talk to me. And we're going to look at what happened in the last year of your life and who you've blessed. Let's worship. Let's wait and pray for the Spirit's power. And last, let's keep witnessing. Let's keep witnessing. We can do like Jesus, and we can leave this world a better place. And we can do that by taking in the Word and then praying for the power of the Spirit to make things change in our lives and the lives of those around us. So I want to conclude by reciting the Word together with you. Our verse of the month. This is one I want us to be reciting again and again and have memorized and buried in our heart by the end of the week. Let's recite together. It's found at the bottom of your bulletin on our sermon page. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let's say it together. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father. Thank you for the blessed assurance we have in Jesus Christ. And thank you that you've privileged us to participate in the greatest rescue mission in all of human history. Thank you for the assurance of salvation we have, that our labors are not in vain. And we want to ask and pray right now that you will give us your Holy Spirit in new measure. And help us, Lord, to rejoice in all that Jesus has done, knowing that he has accomplished everything for us. And we want to thank you for, for how you are transforming us here at Heart City Church. Lord, I see so much spiritual fruit being born in the people here. I thank you for all that you're bringing here. And I ask and pray that you will take and use us for the furtherance of your kingdom. So send us forth with joy that we may in fact continue to make Jesus' blessings known far as the first curse is found in the areas that we're called to right now. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.